And now, for some additional value and growth, please welcome Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron. Good morning. So what we're going to do now, anybody here for the first time? Welcome. We won't chase you or try to sign you up for anything that you don't want to sign up for. But welcome. Thanks for being with us. So we uh, typically start each um, celebration with a, a song and a, and a prayer. And what we, one of the cornerstones of what we teach here is affirmative prayer. So in, uh, in alignment with those ideas, I'm going to invite anyone that would like to stand to sing and, and uh, join me in prayer to please do so. And if not, stay seated. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very And so I invite you to take a breath in this moment. And as you notice your lungs fill and your lungs release, it is that taking in and releasing that is an activity that is always available to us. And so what I know in this moment is I recognize that, and I recognize this, this breath of life that in many sacred traditions represents spirit, that we are always supported that that support is so clearly defined by that activity, that that animation of life comes from the unseen, and yet it is always present. And so I know that life, that life of spirit, that life of that, that higher vibration is my life and your life in this moment, and it always is our life. But sometimes we forget. And what I know in that is to stand, as Dr. Holmes said, in a peace that is so complete that nothing can disturb it. So this is my intention, my declaration, and my knowing in my heart and my being. And as I stand in that peace, nothing can distract me and nothing can diminish who I am and who, whose I am, nor can it for you. And so we come to get together today in this season of love, this month of love, and are reminded of that activity, the support that is always there, the resource... And as I listen deeply, as I stand in that beautiful repose of peace, I'm informed and guided with a, with a certainty and clarity like none other. I give thanks for that, knowing every good thing for each and every one of us to think and do and be in this moment and each moment hereafter is made clearer and clearer and clearer. I give thanks. I release anything in my awareness in opposition to what I've just expressed. 
knowing that I've already impressed these ideas upon this infinite law and living my life intentionally and setting this intention, I stand in that grace and that beauty and that vibrancy. And in great love and great gratitude, I give thanks and together we say, and so it is. All right. So Valentine's Day is coming up. You guys ready? Somebody's laughing. You're not ready. No? Oh, my gosh. Well, we're going to talk about Valentine's Day a little bit. Today is uh, entitled Something to Love. And, this, and I wanted to share this with you. This comes from Dr. Ernest Holmes, our founder. And I think it, it really uh, says in a wonderful way his position on love. He said we should all have something that we love to do. All should, we should all have something we love to do. Something that will completely express the self. So our, the, the things that we love should completely express us or, or move us in that direction. Something that will loose the energies of life into action and turn the power into creative work. We should learn to love all people. We should learn to love all people, not just some people. So how many of you here, show of hands, love all people? Wow, I don't even need to do this talk. This is great. Those of you that didn't put your hands up, you can talk to these other folks that are loving all people. So anyway, we're in the season of Valentine's. And, 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 and uh, it's, it's a very uh, interesting holiday. I was listening to an interview last uh, night in preparation. A uh, beautiful woman that has just done such great work on the planet around the relationships of men and women by the name of Alison Armstrong. And some of you have studied with Alison. Some of you are currently studying with her. And, and she's, she's an amazing woman. She's brilliant. And she talks about Valentine's Day. And she said, for the most part, it's the worst holiday we can even imagine. And she lists why and, and how we can ma maneuver our ways through it. Because what Valentine's Day is, there are actually three Catholic, Catholic saints that helped define Valentine's Day, and none of them had anything to do with romance. Can you believe that? There wasn't one of the saints that had anything to do with romance, and yet, remember as a kid, you had to go into school, at least I did, you had, you had to give everybody a Valentine's. So you, gotta go, you go down to the drugstore and you get a bag of those... 35 Valentines and then you go home and you got the list of students in the class and you write their names and there's about four of them that you really want to be your Valentine and then there's another there were 36 kids in my class in grammar school and uh, so there's 32 of them that you're forced to give a Valentine's to <laughs> oh man I don't want him to be my Valentine Jiminy Christmas what are we doing here and so what it, what it becomes, Valentine's becomes forced giving. It becomes forced intimacy. We're obligated. And the, the challenge is for men and women is that men and women think differently. Have you noticed that? We do. We do. We think differently. See, women are multitaskers. Women can, they, they do a bunch of stuff, and then as they're listening, they're, they're, they already know if women are thinking about what you, would you, really, if they're thinking about what you'd like for your birthday, they're already figuring out from the conversation and things you're talking about. You know, you know guys will talk about, I mean, at my house, I spend the majority of my time, part of my spiritual practice is looking for the remote control. Oh. <laughs> so as I look for the remote, I'm praying for the remote control, but it puts me in a state of, of prayer. But guys are very, very one-directed. They do one thing at a time. And women multitask, and they, and they gather information, gather information, gather information. So they already know what we want for our birthday just from the day-to-day -day conversation. And men don't think like that. See, women are gatherers. They're gatherers, gather, nurturers, and gatherers. And men are hunters. 
See, so Thomas and Verania. The way Thomas approaches this is Thomas went hunting for a mate, and he found Verania. So that part of his life's done. And so as a hunter, he doesn't sit there and pay attention to what her wants and needs are. He's thinking in his mind as she's talking, I better get out there and hunt for more stuff because the herd might move and then I'll miss the opportunity to bring more stuff home. And this is how men, this is how men operate. So there's the hunters and then there's the gatherers. And so what happens with, with uh, uh, in the interview I was listening to, uh, this guy called in, it was a radio show, and Allison was, was on the show, and, and the guy said, I got a problem. He said, I proposed to my wife on Valentine's Day. Her birthday is on Valentine's Day, and I got Valentine's Day. So I got three. And Allison said, oh my gosh, a lot of pressure. Because the problem the way I, the, and this has always been really alive for me, is the problem that I have with, with, with Valentine's is that I always think about it, and men, this is how men think. If I really blow it out of the park this year, right, I know that she wants a, a new car. And so I do everything I can to get the new car or the new whatever. The pressure's right there, even in that this year. What am I going to do next year to top this? It's like, oh my. So there's that pressure that works for us. And so the whole point of this is that it's. It's a form of, of love that's expressed that's really not a form of love. It's based on sentimentality. It's, it's, it's based on obligation. It's based on um, that you're mine and I'm yours. It's based on, it can, and there's many layers to it. But it's, an, it's, an, it's a wonderful way to look at relationship and, and love. Now, for you, see, because I think that Valentine's is every day. I mean, if you're there, and you're, it's not just one time a year. It can be every day. And, may, and maybe for you, you've, you've negotiated things within your relationship that make Valentine's really special. And that's fantastic, because that's, that's really a, a wonderful thing to do. But this whole, this whole position on, on, on love and how the world defines it is reflected in Valentine's, which really tells us, if we look at it from this exchanging of gifts, it represents dependency, it represents control, it represents... Uh, uh, sentimental and emotionalism. It's an attachment in which the theme is to control, going back and forth. And so the satisfaction of de- desire on both sides is called love. And, and so the, it, it's very interesting to look at it because that's what most of the world, how they participate in this. One, one of the great things, and I saw it as I was coming into the uh, hall this morning, and a great example of, of of unconditional love that we have on the planet. One of the, the few examples that we'll always see is a mother's love for their child. And as I was coming in, Anita was talking to Miles in the hallway, and I interrupted her for a moment to say hi and give her a hug. But, but there's, you know, mothers, you see it on TV all the time. Mother will go visit their son in prison, been there 20 years. He's there for some horrific thing, and she still loves him. She doesn't approve of the behavior. The behavior is broken in her heart, but she still loves him. The love's still there. And I think that is one of the, uh, the, the, the clues on our planet about what the capacity or the willingness to love can be. So it, it, it transcends this idea of conditional love. And I'm just looking at some of these. One, I, I've got a bunch of great notes here. One of the things around love that I think is really important to understand is that when it's conditional, then my affection for you becomes based on your behavior. It's conditional. 
In other words, if you behave in a certain way, if you pick out the right Valentine's present for me, or if you fulfill something that I want and need to be happy, then I will reciprocate with love. And the important thing to know is, so we're on this, we're on this planet at this point in time, and it's, we're, we're in this, this transformation of, of consciousness, what's happening. And I wanna, I'm going to speak a little bit about that, and I'll come back to Valentine's Day. The, the Hindus had four definitions for yoga. And I know there's some yoga teachers here. And yoga is really an act for that ancient and sacred tradition of, of oneness. It's to come together with spirit. It's to close that gap of separation, which is exactly what Dr. Holmes talked about. When I stand here with you and I say that I'm reminded of Dr. Holmes saying that, that I affirm a peace that is so complete that nothing can disturb it, the, the benefit in doing that is that then I make myself available to that experience or that, that sense of spirit in my life, which is the unseen. And so the Hindus have known about this forever, you know, and, they, and, and, they, and so they broke it down into four categories. The first one is karma yoga. And karma yoga is realizing our divinity through the work that we do. And so we have a passion. Some people are just wired this way, and they want to go out in the world, and they want to build a beautiful hospital, or they want to build roads, or they want to go to, to Africa and, and dig wells for people, and all these things. And so that's, that's one of the paths. The, other, the next path is bhakti yoga. And that is through the path of love, to love just unconditionally, to be able to be a, a, a vessel of love on the planet. And, uh, and, and I'll expand on all four of these in a moment because there's, there's varying degrees of this. Then there's jnana yoga, which is the realization through knowledge and information. And so to, to ponder, to read, and to, to reflect and do this uh, self-reflection in a way that we can transform our own consciousness. And then there's jnana yoga, uh, or raja yoga, which is the, the control of the mind. So, you know, I'm not going to think those things anymore. I'm going to dwell upon this. And we find it through spiritual practice. So all four of them are, are valuable and important paths. I saw an article this week that said that there's, there's a new book out of what super achievers um, do in their lives. People that are very highly uh, competent and what we would call successful. What they do, the number one thing, without going into the other nine, but the number one thing all of them do is self-reflection. Every person that is a uh, super achiever or someone that we would say, wow, what, look at that person, is the ability for self-reflection. And the next step down is what they do in the self-reflection. So when they meet an obstacle in their lives, they don't spend a lot of time blaming and shaming and pointing fingers and saying, well, you sabotaged me. If you hadn't done that, I would have this. What they do is they find a way around it or a way through it. And this is a common theme with all of them. doesn't matter what area of, of longing or expression we're talking about. And so, what I, so when I talk to you about forgiveness, when I talk about putting things down, when I talk about surrendering, when I hear people say to me, you know, I'm not ready to, to forgive, for me when I hear that, it's just simply, it's simply um, in, a misinformation about what forgiveness is. Because forgiveness is not saying, you know, I know you did something wrong to me or I've been disappointed and because I'm going to forgive you, I'm making myself available to that experience again. No, what it is is just simply clearing enough energy in our own error of belief around something and moving ourselves out of victim consciousness because in order to, to be in a position of not being able to forgive, we're standing in victim consciousness, which most people are. And so when we have that awareness, then, then, then we realize that I'm limiting my opportunity to stand in this beauty and this grace and this opportunity to reveal the wholeness that I am, which is inherent in us. And so when we're biased by that and our, and our, our history informs us that, that there's something to fear, there's something that's wrong or that we're not good enough or we don't, do, whatever those things are, those stories that we've latched onto, it limits that capacity for the oneness. 
So all of these yogas that I talked about, karma, bhakti, raja, and jhana, if we're in victim consciousness and, and applying any of these in our lives, it'll be a, a less a fully realized experience because what we're, what the consciousness we're operating from is, is lining up in a, in a lesser expression of possibility. In other words, if when I'm in victim consciousness, my worldview is there's good and there's bad. There's good and there's bad. And so when you find yourself in reflection of, of the, and observing the world as good and bad, you know, well, I'm standing in victim consciousness. So how can I shift out of that? Well, I think I'd like to move into the second kingdom of, of awareness and consciousness and activity, which is manifestation. And in manifestation, the world goes from good and bad to desirable and less desirable. And, and, and eventually, if we do enough of our own clearing, you see, when illness shows up in our lives, when illness and discord and lack and limitation show up in our lives, what I know to be true and what Dr. Holmes supported and all the other great teachers on the world uh, that, that have come down through the ages expressed is that those, those levels of illness and discord and lack and limitation are opportunities for us to do our own inner work so that we may transcend and transform our consciousness so that our perception of what's happening in the world and in our lives no longer uh, forces us to react in a way that, that moves us out of, of oneness into separation. Because good and bad is about separation. And so the movement in consciousness then for desirable and less desirable and ultimately to move to the third kingdom, which is prefer preferable, that's my preference, and that's less preferable. Preference, less preferable. And so in this season of love, I I'll give you an example. I have been trying to figure out where I can make sense and peace with uh, the, the hysteria that's been going on since those little children were shot in Connecticut before Christmas. And so it's very, you know, I, I found myself, I just, I, I process it and process it and I do my prayer work around it. And what I realize is part of what I know statistically, and there's a lot of people that the, the, the feeling is right now is that, no, we can't restrict any form of gu guns because guns keep us safe. And so I know that after that event, something like 300,000 more people joined the National Rifle Association. And there were hundreds of thousands, if not millions, more guns sold because people were concerned that those particular weapons would be taken off the market. And so for me, I look at that and I think, as a man on this planet, I think one of, our, 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 um, one of my responsibilities is to protect those that are most vulnerable for all of us. And is this a way, is this a good strategy? Because what I, what I see happening and I see being expressed in that is, is, is victim consciousness, it's fear. That I, so we all need to be protected. We all need to carry. I'm not carrying a firearm. And, and because I, for me, it's a, for me I, then I'm going to buy into it. I'm going to be in agreement and fear. And I realize that I've done enough of my own spiritual practice that I can't, I can't, I can't support someone. See, when we're, when we're not willing to forgive, we stay trapped in the same. We're on the other side of the same energy that, that you're, you're participating in the problem. What you... What, what, what we resist persists. And so as long as I hate people that are living in fear, I'm participating in it. And so for me, the great learning in this, the great challenge has been in making sense of this is to realize that what I'm called to do with my observation of it is I'm, I'm called to, be, to decide what I want to be. You and I get to decide moment by moment what we're going to be. 
And I realize that, that for me, the most beautiful thing I can be, for me, and, and I know that it speaks and it lifts my spirit up and it expands me in amazing ways, is a presence of unconditional love and kindness. And so what, the challenge for me now becomes because those guys from the NRA are my neighbors and they're tempting me not to love them. But what I don't love about them is the behavior. But as a, as a person that says, I am committed to being a being of love, I'm committed to, to what, moving out of my awareness anything and everything that restricts that participation of being a, a, a being of love. And then I can look at that and I can simply say, that's not my preference. And, and your behavior, as fearful as it is, as in my opinion, as, as lacking in insight and sophistication as it is, does not restrict me from loving you. And if we look at all of the great avatars, some of them are hanging on the walls here. I mean, look at, look at Gandhi. How many, how many situations, because what, what the NRA will tell those people is your rights are being taken away. And if you let the government take your guns away, you're, you're going to be vulnerable. And I'm not saying get rid of guns. I think, I mean, I know a lot of wonderful hunters and people that participate in, in a sane way with, with all of that. But what I'm saying, the answer there is not to arm ourselves more. The answer is the transformation of consciousness. And, and I know that everyone sitting here, you're, you, you, would, you, you use whatever you have in your life in a responsible way. And I, but I also realize that how, how much is enough? How many, how many guns do I need to have? Because if I follow their thinking all the way down, then I need to start buying guns as soon as I can and with every nickel I have. And then eventually I want to have a, I want to have a nuclear a, a, a missile in my backyard because then I'll feel safe. I mean, think about it. How, many, how, many, how much stuff can we have that's going to keep us safe? And if we don't understand we're safe right now, that life is eternal, that we're here to have this experience. And so what I'm looking at is how my neighbors have tempted, me, have tempted me not to love them when in fact what I get to do is realize, I get this. I get you're scared. I get you're fearful. And it's not going to diminish my commitment to being a loving being. See, what I can do is I can, I can control my perception here. And I'm committed to being a loving, loving being. I'm committed to unconditional kindness and love. It doesn't mean that I agree with everything that comes along. It doesn't agree, mean I agree with every, every political position. It doesn't, I don't agree, I don't want to agree with anyone in fear. This is what we do as practitioners. If you come in for work and you're in, you're in fear, you don't want me sitting there saying, yeah, you're right. Somebody is following you. <laughs> yeah. I think I just saw something at the window there. You know, I mean, you don't need that reinforced in your life. What we do, what, 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 what spiritual community can do, and insight and awareness is that it lifts us up out of that. And the shift in perception. And that's a beautiful, powerful thing. And we've been through, we've been through periods of like this on the planet. Think about all the, the crazy control freaks that have, have governed and people felt like their rights were being diminished and their things were being taken away. I mean, there have been kingdoms and all kinds. And, you know, look at the, for years and years and years, it was the Roman Catholic Church. The Inquisition. And the human spirit got through that. It was a period of darkness and bias and prejudice and horrific acts. And so what, there is something within all of us that is, just, that is complete and indestructible. And if we go there and give life to that and rise that up in our lives, then we can contribute to giving birth to a new consciousness on the planet. And then we love unconditionally. We don't agree 
We say, that's not my preference. That doesn't represent me. I'm not going down that pathway with you. But it's not because we hate them or they're bad or wrong. It's because our awareness and our perception has been shifted. So the miracle that happens within us, and, 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 and see, we're not in this alone. When, when I turn to spirit and say, there's one life, I recognize the one life, I'm turning to something beyond me. There's one life. That life is spirit. That life is God. And whatever you want to call it, whatever name you give it, it doesn't care. What cares is the name works for you so that it opens your heart and your mind. There's one life. And then to step into it and say, and that life is my life. And then whatever kingdom I'm in, first, second, third, or fourth of, of consciousness, I start to have a, an experience, a conversation. That's why we meditate. So I can quiet this mind, this reactive mind that's telling me this and this and this and this. So I can listen and be in an intimate relationship with that. And so then I can look out at the world and I can look at these fellows that are, that are scared, people are scared, and to have compassion. And then in my prayer work, what I can affirm for them is the highest and the best. So in my spiritual practice, when I start to spend it, I affirm the highest and the best. Who am I to judge and say, this is not right and perfect for them? That this is, it's going to be so acutely painful that what it's going to call us to do, those of us that are awake to our spirit, is going to stand up and be even a brighter representation of unconditional love. I'm a being of love. And no one can diminish that. But if I'm looking for your approval, if I'm looking for your valentine to validate me, it becomes conditional. Then it's sentimentality. It's not the highest form of love. It's a very small form of love. To be willing, and part of this is to forgive ourselves, to put it down, to create space. This is why I'm so enamored of the, the releasing prayer with Marcia Sutton. Right now, I get, I'm working on all these new words. I release my belief in victimization. I release my need to be punished. And I'm grateful God is the peace that I am. I want to stand in the, I want to stand in the peace that, that is so complete, nothing can disturb it. And I realized as a small kid, I, would, I, was, I was victimized by people, but I also felt that I, I deserved to be punished because I'd done things wrong. It's just that the punishment was, was way beyond what was appropriate. So what happens is you do something wrong as a kid, you get punished, and then all of a sudden you realize, well, you know, I deserve to be punished, but I don't know if I deserve to be punished that much. And then you, and, but when you buy in the idea that, that you can be a victim and that you need to be punished, then you start recreating that over and over and over in your relationships. So I don't want to live there, but I want to own it so I can dismantle it. So that then I can show up and I can be a, be a, a clear representation of what we teach. And so my clearing goes on and on and on and on. It's layer after layer after layer. But every time I clear something, one more cell in my body lights up. And I go, wow. Now I get it. It's a piece so complete, nothing can disturb it. And then everything shifts and changes. But what happens when we, we look at people... And this comes from Dr. David Hawkins. He says the key to this is forgiveness. And what forgiveness does is it undoes the past reservations, experiences, and viewing people as unlovable. It views people as unlovable. Say, when you, I say you love everybody and your hands went fantastic because you understand this already because it doesn't serve us well that people are unlovable. Everybody's lovable. But we don't have to approve of their behavior, their political positions, or their fear. We don't have to agree in the fear. And if they try to convince us, we just get to say, no, I'm not going there with you. It doesn't represent my position, who I, I believe myself to be. To be willing to forgive and surrender our perceptions. We now see those same people, rather than push them away and judge them, we begin to see those same people as limited, 
They're limited. Their spirits aren't awake yet. They're in, and they're, they're in the first kingdom of consciousness, which is victim consciousness. So they're, they're, they're limited in their perception. They're influenced by programming. You know, when Martin Luther King said that the, 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 there's keys to change, and he understood it. Amazing man. Him and Gandhi through nonviolence. Amazing people that came along at the right time. And people within, in his community, his spiritual community, didn't support him as much as people outside the community. That's where he got his traction. He had people in New York with money and influence that supported him. But within his own community, there were all the personalities going on. And towards, towards the end of his life, he was getting very discouraged because he had a lot of people around him judging him and pointing fingers. And it was in his own community. And it was the people outside the community that called him and, and, kept, and kept saying, we need the inspiration, we need your leadership. And so he worked through that. He had the capacity to stand in that, the criticism, and just simply say, okay, I get it. I get it that we disagree, but I'm not going to stop loving you. And so, but, but what happened with, with King is that, is that he, he said this. He said that, that what it requires, first of all, change is, is uh, irritation. Agitation, irritation. So agitation and irritation is required. But what we're seeing right now is people get agitated and irritated, and they run out to buy something to protect themselves. When, in fact, that's just the first step. I'm going to go, go get a bigger arm because then I, I'm, I'm ticked off at everybody. I mean, who is the government? Who is the Canadian government? We are. You're the government. I have dual citizenship. I'm the government of the United States. And so what happens is it's not about going out and getting a bigger gun. It's using our minds, as Holmes said, to learn how to think is to learn how to live. So you get agitated, you get irritated, and all of a sudden you're called to action. And then you start to litigate. You go back and say, you know what? My rights are being, I, I don't like this. And you go through the system and you say, okay, it's litigation. And it's litigation, then it becomes legislation. And then you education. He said, and Dr. Holmes said, then it's education. Or Dr. King. And then it's advocacy. There's many steps to it. But when we just stop right there at irritation, then we want to protect ourselves. And he understood it. He had the vision to understand. It was irritation. It was litigation. It was legislation. It was education. And it was advocacy. Those are the steps. But what's happening, what's happening for many people is we get irritated and right away we want the solution because we're into immediate gratification. It could take years and years and years. But it's worth the effort. And you can honor everyone and you can disagree and you can have discourse. To be willing to forgive and surrender our perceptions, we now see those same people as limited, influenced by programming, spiritually underprivileged, spiritually underprivileged. They don't know. They don't know what they don't know. And I'm not saying I know better. But what I know is I'm not going to agree with that because when I step into that, I live that life. And then everyone's my enemy. And I suspect everyone. And when you live a life of victim consciousness, what do you bring into your life? People that will exploit your consciousness to play out and agree with you. You're a victim, and here I'm going to victimize you. So you, you, you enter into commerce with people, and the one you buy is a lemon. Spiritually underprivileged and reflective of the ego, egoic nature of the, of, to be unable to discern truth from falsehood. So when we're in victim consciousness, we can't discern truth from falsehood because we don't have the perception. We just have our opinions. And see, when we, stand in that, when we stand in that third kingdom of awareness, we know intuitively we're guided, and the information we need also reveals itself. You know, God, if this is the highest and best for me, make it, make it, uh, make it clear. And if it's not, make it obvious. 
If this is in the highest and best for me, make it clear. And if it's not, make it obvious. But if we're in victim consciousness, we don't hear anything like that. We think we do, but we can't tell. Am I making this up or am I being guided? Because our intuition in victim consciousness is not activated. So forgiveness, what forgiveness does is it opens our perception. To ask in our prayer work and set the intention, guide me in this. Guide me in my perception so I may put down whatever is limiting my ability to, to love all of humanity and all of life. And see, it's not a one-time thing. It's a journey. I'm patching a window in my office right now, and I'm putting, I put the drywall, I insulated, put the drywall, and then I put the drywall compound on the, the mud, and it's wet when I put it on. And I'd love to tell you I could do it all at once, but every time I put a coat on, I have to let it dry. I have to let it set. Then I go back and I sand a little bit and I put another coat on and I have to let it dry and I have to let it set. And I thought, what a great metaphor for how consciousness is built. One of the things I know about leadership, I've been here 10 years and I've been doing ministry for, this is my 16th year, and I'm on the leadership council with the organization. I'm up for re-election um, next, next week, so, and I'm not saying, and I'm not treating to win, I'm treating for the right thing to happen. Because if that doesn't, if I don't, and I put my name forward to continue, because I've been there a year and it just doesn't feel like enough time. We're just getting rolling. But if for some reason I'm not elected, I got other stuff to do. I know that's right and perfect. And so it's exciting because I'm not in that state of victim consciousness. I realize this is exciting and there may be someone that needs to step up into this that has ideas and awarenesses that I don't bring. But I have other stuff to do. And what I know about leadership is that the weakest members of a team, I've seen it over and over and over again, the weakest members of a team fight the hardest for position. The weakest members of a team fight the hardest for position. They fight the hardest for title. And so where that, where that translates in my own being is that so with leaders, people that really have gifts and talents, they're like eagles, and eagles don't flock. If, if, you, if, if you're in, I've watched people with leadership skills, and, and, and when you say to them, look, we're probably not going to be able to put you on this committee this time or this or whatever, they say, okay, that's okay. I got work to do. The, but the weakest members will fight for position. And so what I know about that for myself in my own interior, in my own spiritual work, the weakest aspects of myself are the loudest. The one that, the, the one that thinks there's not enough, the one that wants to punish people and blame people and shame people, that's the most prevalent voice in my awareness. Those are the nafs. Those are the lower self. And so when you realize that when, you're, when your spirit's awake, then you can look at them and say, there's my neighbors. They're tempting me not to love somebody. And so we're in this, you know, we're in the, the Valentine season. And so the trick is, I'm going to write a book on this. It'll be a bestseller. The trick for guys in Valentine's I, I texted my, uh, my son Max last night and said, you know, are, Max, are we doing anything special for Valentine's Day this year? And he said, no, but thanks for thinking of me. <laughs> um, the key to it, because we think differently, is for the guy to say, what do you need? And what would make you happy? See, if we just ask, they'll probably tell us. <laughs> but if you, yeah, there you go. Thank you. See, I'm learning. 
But if you say, here's the thing, it's very subtle. If you say, what would you like for Valentine's? Because the, the female mind has already figured it out, already knows, is known for months. And we've been busy looking for the remote. We will say, what we'll say is, what would you like for Valentine's? And they will typically go right into, well, if you loved me, you would know. Which, then I stand like this going, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm, thank you. But if we ask, what do you need and what would you like? And what would make you happy? And what would make you happy? What do you need and what would make you happy? Thank you, ladies. See, you're really paying attention. It's good. I need that kind of coaching. I really appreciate it. That's what I needed at the moment. And it made me very happy, so thank you. So with all this, when we look at the world, see, I think it's important we talk about these things and how we take this teaching to the world. Because it's just, you know, I watched this thing on First Estate this week, and it was how the guns in the States affect Canada. And how many guns are... Do you know that there's more gun deaths now in eight states and it's approaching almost a, a majority than there are car accident deaths in the United States in eight of the states right now? More people killed with guns. And it's thousands. It's thousands. And so when the NRA gets up and says, your rights are being taken away and you've got to protect yourself because the government is bad and this and this and this. And I'm not saying it's perfect, but it, what, it, what it taps into is that fear-based mentality. And so when I say that what my commitment is, is I look at it, how can I be a, a, an answer to the problem rather than add to the problem? I realize that my commitment needs to be for myself that I'm, I decide right here and right now, I set the intention, I am a loving being. And I'm going to move on this planet with as much energy and awareness about how I can be unconditionally loving and kind to everyone. It doesn't make you a doormat. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything. You can disagree and still love one another. See, it's not, it's not um, exclusive. It's not either or. It can be both and. And so the beautiful thing about having a teaching like this, which is practical spirituality, which incorpor incorporates all of the yogas that I talked about, whatever we're drawn to, we can do it. Is it the intellect? Is it the hearts? There's lovers here. There's thinkers here. There's philosophers here. There's mystics here. There are people who say, let's get out and do it. And they're all perfect and right. Everybody's, everybody's way is, is perfect and right. It's just a matter of the consciousness. See, when we're transformed in the beingness, when we're, and Holmes talked about this, when our consciousness is transformed, we're transforming the world. Dr. Barnum, they used to call him Dr. Barney, was my teacher's teacher. And Dr. Barney taught many of our successful ministers. And Dr. Barney used to say, if we transform one consciousness, if we move one mind, and that mind is our own, We've done our work. That's what a challenge it is. That's what a challenge. I know it's not easy to all of a sudden say, I'm going to see this person with new eyes. And so what we need is help. What we need is to, in our prayer work is say, infinite intelligence and spirit within me and around me and all everywhere present. Guide me and direct me in the highest and finest potential so that I can support myself in seeing with new eyes and new perception and loving the world. I mean, that's the message of Jesus, the Christ consciousness. There's the work to do, whether it be mentally or emotionally, through our work. You know, there's many traditions that view work as prayer. The Shaker community, their, their carpentry was their prayer. So, it, 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 but it's the consciousness we bring to it, to stand in that, to stand in that beauty and that, and that, that, that awareness. And, and so we can grow in that. And then the world is transformed. 
evolution, our evolution is creation. And it's our opportunity to be as kind and loving, especially to the ones that, are, that tempt us not to love them. So happy Valentine's Day. And so it is.